Good morning. Welcome to St. Paul's, and a special welcome to our visitors who are worshiping with us today. As you drive around outside, around the county, you see the different plants growing, and what a beautiful thing it is to see them growing higher and higher and higher until the harvest time finally comes. Today, we'll be hearing about how God's kingdom grows like a plant, by the power of God's word. God grows us as individuals and spreads his kingdom out through his glorious gospel message. We'll be following along the order of service as it's printed out for you in the worship folder, projected on the wall as well. Let's begin by singing our first hymn, 255.
Our second lesson today taken from Colossians chapter 1. Here we see Paul praying thanks to the Lord, how the gospel is growing and bearing fruit all over the world as it still is today. May we pray with thanks to the Lord for the same thing. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. This is the word of our God. Please stand in honor of the gospel. The gospel for today from Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells a couple parables about the kingdom of God. We give thanks for the growth of God's kingdom among us, within us, and around us by the power of God's word. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day. Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated for the hymn of the day.
Grace and mercy and peace, they're yours. From God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, your fellow believers. One of the most frequent applications pastors worth their salt make for the people of God is read your Bibles. And the second runner-up is very, very close to the first. Get to church. And the reason is simple for both of them. There's power in the Word of God. That's it. There is power in the Word. Hebrews tells us the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Or you can jump back to the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces? Paul said it a little bit different to Timothy. How from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. There's power in the Word because it's God's Word. It's His voice. All Scripture is God-breathed, the Scriptures tell us. Which means the power of the Word of God is not like an alcoholic beverage, a beer or wine, when you, when you have one or a couple of them it seeks to make you drunk. The power of the Word of God is not an ibuprofen, that if you pop one or two after you've been exercising your muscles too much, it is going to dull that pain and sensitivity in your muscles. That's not the power of the Word. The power of the Word, Paul wrote in in Romans, is the power of God to make, or or the, the power of the Gospel, which he's not ashamed Because it's for the salvation of everyone who believes. Look at what God does with such power. He takes that incredible life-giving power that he has from the Bible. He takes that little power and he stuffs it like seed for the farmer. He stuffs it on the inside and a farmer just puts that seed in the ground and is our gospel lesson said today all by itself when you take that seed and you put it in the proper circumstances when you put it around the dirt all by itself it does the work that's why we don't have seed stretchers farmers don't invest in machines that that stretch and pull open the seed all by itself it does the work it's the same with the power of God when it's taken in the Bible when it's taken through preaching and it's planted around the dirt of people We're dust. All by itself, the power of the word does the work for people. Jonah knew this stuff. This is basic Christianity 101 so far. Jonah understood this so that even when God sent him to go to Nineveh and said, I want you to go share a powerful message I have from my word. I want you to share a message of judgment. I am going to destroy this people after 40 days. And God meant it. Jonah hesitated. 
because he understood a message of judgment, a powerful message of judgment from the Bible is not the only message God has. God also has a powerful message of mercy for sinners. And so when God tasked Jonah to go to Nineveh, Jonah refused and he went the exact opposite direction because he didn't want them to have that second powerful message of mercy. I think it's easy from a human standpoint to sympathize with Jonah for the rationale that he had for going the opposite direction. Do you know essentially what Jonah's rationale was for for why to go the other way? It essentially was this. What do I get out of it? What's in this for me? Why should I, an Israelite prophet, travel all the way to Assyria, to the city of Nineveh, and help our hardened enemy. If you know your history, the Assyrians were probably one of the most ruthless, if not the most ruthless nation. You did not want to go to war against them. Uh, They were just despicable in the way they treated other nations. Probably the arch enemy of the Israelites. Why should I go to the arch enemy of Israel? You mean, Lord, you want me to go to my own people and say, can you please, can you please take a mission money offering for me and support my round trip to Nineveh and back? And can you please provide me with enough money so that I can live over there and have a place to stay and so that I can have something to eat every single day? Tell me what Israelite would give mission money to Jonah for that trip? And if you take it a step further, what in the world is Jonah supposed to do when we send missionaries out today? Typically, when they come back to the United States, they share what God did through them. They share the struggles and they share the successes. So what's Jonah supposed to do after his mission trip is all done? Go back to the people of Israel and say, you know what, I went to Nineveh, I went to Assyria, and I shared this powerful message of judgment, and God was merciful to our arch enemy. He would have every single person in Israel ticked off at him for sharing the power of God to their enemies. Instead, instead Jonah went the other way and he just had God ticked at him. It took Jonah being thrown overboard into the Mediterranean, being tossed around worse than a bobber in a tornado, or in a hurricane, having waves smash against him, bruise and maybe break his body in places, Jonah sinking down all the way to the depths of the sea, finally swallowed by a great fish, where Jonah was able to express his prayer. He probably wasn't even able to get his thoughts out while he was being tossed around in the open sea. It took him being swallowed by that great fish finally for him to be able to swallow his pride and express his repentance and confess his terrible and great sin to the Lord. What will it take for us? Anybody like Jonah sitting in the pews today? Anybody here who says, I don't want the gospel for them. I don't like those people. There's no way I am digging in my pockets for a mission fund to support that. 
what do I get out of it? How does this benefit me? Well, actually, I've heard some of those comments around here lately. That's pretty disgusting. Where the will of God is clear to the people of God and God's people like Jonah run the opposite direction for whatever sinful reason. You know, the lesson of Jonah in the book of Jonah, it's a descriptive book, which means it's not a command like go and make disciples of all nations. That's a command on the Christian church today. But Jonah's a descriptive section, which means we get to learn from the life of Jonah of what happens to somebody when they do the opposite of what God reveals in the Bible. When sinners go the opposite direction from the will of God and do their own sinful thing, the power of God stands against them. And it may not come a day from now. It may not come 40 days from now. It may come after an entire lifetime when you finally see God face to face and have his power witness and stand against you. And the message of Jonah will be fulfilled. You'll be destroyed. It's that message of law. It's that tough message of destruction that Jonah finally, with the second chance that he received, he went to the city of Nineveh. And that's exactly what he proclaimed for several days straight, a big city. He walked straight through that city, and that's what he proclaimed. In Hebrew, we actually had some Hebrew today already, but in Hebrew it sounds like this. Od arba'im yom v'ninaveh napaket. Forty days and Nineveh is going to be destroyed. Over and over he said it. And you know what happened? It hit him square in the heart. It hit the Ninevites in their conscience. They recognized the objective validity of that message, that God was right. And they listened to it. And it almost reads potent verb after potent verb in Jonah 3, how they expressed their repentant remorse. They believed. They proclaimed a fast. They all put on sackcloth from the least of them to the greatest the message went out and it rose to the ranks of the highest person in the entire city. Even the king himself, in all of his royal regalia, dressed in his, in his, with his crown and took it all off. Took off his royal regalia, took off his glory and splendor as the king, dressed himself down and he sat in the dust. That's what they did in the Old Testament to express what was in their heart. And he took it a step further. He declared everybody needs to do this. This is important. And he said, don't eat anything. Don't drink anything. Have all of the animals do this too. Cover them in the dust. <clears throat> From little on, if you read the little kid's book, Mrs. Wishy-Washy, you clean animals. You don't let them go in the dirt. This king did. And on top of that, he took it a step further and he said, turn away from sin. We all know what he's talking about. Wickedness is running rampant in Nineveh. We're in an economic depression. People are fending for themselves and doing their own thing. 
Turn away from whatever sin it is and wickedness that you're doing. And he reasoned it this way. He said, if God is so powerful and able to convict us in our sin and condemn us and end our lives after 40 days, that same God most likely is also able to be merciful and acquit us from these things. Let's plead for that. There's a problem, though. I want you to listen to it firsthand. This is what the king said. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Do you see the problem? He said, who knows? He didn't know. The people didn't know. They didn't know the gospel. They didn't know the mercy of God. They didn't have a Bible over there. And so he expressed it as a possibility. Maybe he can do this, but we have no idea. But we do know. We do know the mercy of God, that God has been merciful to us. That God is merciful to us again this very day, sinners like us. That God will be merciful to us tomorrow and 40 days from now or at the end of our life, whenever that last day of our life comes. And it's not because we're any different than Jonah. It's not because we're any better than the Ninevites. It's because God has told it to us in black and white in his word. You have God's own word on it. Not because he sent us a prophet named Jonah, whose name means dove, which gives the picture of innocence. Jonah was anything but innocent. But because God has sent to us his only son named Jesus, whose name means Savior, and who truly was innocent of any crimes and all sin. He did nothing wrong. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. When Jesus came here, he didn't come to run away from the will of God, but he came to run to it and to do it because Jesus loves his enemy. Because Jesus loves to have mercy on sinners like Jonah, like the Ninevites, like you and me today. Because when Jesus came into this world, he didn't have one thought along the lines of, well, what do I get out of this? A cross? But he said, I'm willing to give all of me to it. To pay for sin. And to forgive it. That's the gospel. That's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And when that gospel is proclaimed over sinners like you and me, that word works all by itself. It creates faith in the Lord Jesus that God will not hold our sin against us. It strengthens faith in people like you and me that the love of the eternal God in his grace is for us. And we get to live because of Jesus. We possess by this gospel the righteousness of God. That heaven belongs to us. 
by staying in that grace and mercy of God every day. Do you know what that gives to us? Exactly what it gave to Jonah. It gives us every day a second or a third or a fourth chance. It gives us a new opportunity, a new way to go that you and I get to look at the word and say, Lord, I want to go after your will now. I want to carry this out. I want to do what you say because of your gospel. Lord, I I don't want to say, what do I get out of this? What's in it for me? I'm not going to reach into my pocket and give a dime to any of this stuff. I want to say, how can I serve you and how can I serve my neighbor? It's another day for me to swallow my pride and confess my sin, Lord, and, and to take it to you and say, this is another day. I'm not going to go back to that. I'm going to strive to live sin-free today for your sake, trusting the gospel, knowing your love is going to carry me along. A couple of weeks ago in a, in a different Wells church, right after the church service, an elderly woman tapped one of my relatives on the shoulder. And my relative turned around and and the elderly woman was holding back tears and she just said, I have to tell you that when I heard your kindergarten age daughter praying the Lord's Prayer with the whole congregation, it brought tears to my eyes. If only Jonah had that when he saw the power of God at work for the Ninevites. We do, don't we? Tears in our eyes as we see the gospel at work in us. That God would love somebody like us. Tears in our eyes as we see what God does with his power for our kids and our families. Tears in our eyes as we see what what God does for our community through the power of his love and his word. Tears in our eyes even as as we bind ourselves together to take this gospel even for people different than us, unlike us, who maybe have made very, very, very different choices in life than us because we still desire their salvation too. There's power in the word. It's incredible. We believe it. And that's why we proclaim it and hold to it. And by the grace of God, we possess it. Amen. Please stand. May the peace of God which surpasses our understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. We join together in the Te Deum.
congregation may be seated. At this time, we bring the offerings forward. The morning, O Lord, I call to you. Be merciful to me and hear my prayer. Jesus, we thank you for teaching us about your kingdom and for planting us in your kingdom, for growing us by your word and bearing fruit by your gospel. Help us always to proclaim your word and to trust you to bless it according to your gracious will. Heavenly Father, every good and perfect gift comes from you. We praise you for the gift of fathers by which you provide physical and spiritual welfare for children. Give fathers boldness to love their wives as Christ loved the church to raise their children in the fear of the Lord, to discipline their sons and daughters in love, and to look to you for strength in all things. Holy Spirit, thank you for giving new life to Emerson Donald Radu in baptism later this morning. Please keep him close to Christ, bless his family, and lead us all to treasure our baptism and live by its power each day. Jesus, you are the resurrection and the life. Bring comfort to the family of Marilyn Hummel, whose funeral was held this past week, and also the family of Kurt Bulitz, who died of cancer this past week. Phil Dawn and Tim Redu, Justin and Aaron Redu, Zygmunt and Regina Bulitz, and all who mourn at this time with the sure hope of eternal life in you. And in Jesus' name we join to pray. Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, Almighty and everlasting God, you have brought us safely to this new day. Defend us with your mighty power, and grant that this day we neither fall into sin nor run into any kind of danger. And in all we do, direct us to what is right in your sight. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Let us praise the Lord. The Lord bless and keep you. The Lord's face.
Thank you so much for joining us in worship this morning. Thank you also to those of you who tuned in online or on cable this week. A couple of announcements after services here today. Uh, during Family Bible Hour, we'll be continuing our study on 2 Corinthians here in the sanctuary. For those who want to attend Bible class but have younger children, uh, child care will be offered in the gymnasium uh, during Family Bible Hour. Uh, also coming up next weekend, as is indicated in the bulletin, my family and I will be on vacation for a couple of weeks. Um, that overlaps a little bit with Pastor Miller's as well, so uh, during that time, if there are uh, pastoral emergencies in which you need pastoral care, uh, Pastor Voigt's information is there in the bulletin as well. Uh, Pastor Miller, do you want to start Bible class today at a particular time? Should we say 9.20-ish? 9.20-ish. Then we'll uh, have the Wells Connection for the month of June next. 